Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. We haven't yet met. Um, I'm the vicar here and um, I'm going to be uh, spending a bit of time just looking at this uh, theme of doubt as we've already introduced this evening. Um, we often do this in the evening. We take a little bit of time for a bit of chat to catch up with one another. Uh, so we're going to do that now, four or five minutes, uh, a chance to chat to your neighbors, catch up with them. You might want to get some refreshments. Um, it, it's, it's relaxed. I've got a question for you uh, to address. And uh, if I could have the, my first slide up here. Okay. Doubt. Friend. Or foe. Okay, now depending on what level you want to take this, you could just sort of chat about the week that you've had. That's absolutely fine. Um, if you want to just talk about which of those grasshoppers or whatever they are is your friend or foe, you can keep it at that level. If you want to go a little bit further, doubt, friend or foe. Is doubt a friend or a foe? Or is it a bit more complicated? Something to chat about just for a moment, and we will regather in just a few minutes and get started and think, what does the scriptures have to say to us? on that. Okay, now, um, I, this, is a, this is a big one, by the way. This, I'm not sure this one's been settled over time. So if you could probably continue that discussion for some time. I'm going to draw you to a halt for a moment. Do feel free to continue those discussions later on. So what about doubt? What does, what do we think of doubt? What does God think of doubt? More to the point. Is doubt allowed. And if it's allowed, is it, is it sort of one of those things that's kind of tolerated allowed or encouraged allowed? And where does it go? If I have doubt, well, what am I actually supposed to do with my doubt? Am I supposed to just rest in my doubt? Am I supposed to resolve it? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Doubt is a, is a common human experience. I guess that doesn't really need any saying. All of us will be familiar with doubt. I looked up a, a, a definition of it. It's quite helpful. It tries to sort of unpick what it actually is because it takes a bit of thinking about. It said this, doubt is a mental state in which the mind remains suspended between two or more contradictory propositions, unable to be certain of any of them. Doubt on an emotional level is indecision between belief and disbelief. It may involve uncertainty, distrust, or lack of conviction on certain facts, actions, motives, or decisions. Doubt can result in delaying or rejecting relevant action out of concern for mistakes or missed opportunities. It's a helpful little definition because it helps remind us that doubt starts sort of up here, but it then affects our whole person and even our whole lives and our actions, our ability uh, to live. 
Now, doubt, as I say, is a common human experience. I just guess that doesn't need any saying. It's also a common experience for Christians. I was thinking this week, what were, you know, what were the sort of standout moments of doubt in my own life? And I guess they, they circle around a couple of different areas. For me, doubt around the reliability of the Bible has been a really significant thing. Because I lean really heavily on that. I remember a time when I was looking into the circumstances of Judas Iscariot's death. Now, I'm not suggesting you go and do that right now, but there are two different accounts. They're different accounts. They have different perspectives. And I remember thinking, oh, can I actually reconcile these two? Uh, what does this mean if I can't for my trust in the scriptures and so forth? Happily explain to you how I got to uh, a, a happy conclusion at the end of that afterwards. But I remember really wrestling on my knees about this on one occasion. I remember wrestling with an understanding of human origins. How was I going to make sense of Genesis 1 and how the world came to be and so forth? Um, again, happy to talk to you about that uh, at another time. So reliability of the Bible can often be a big place of doubt. Perhaps there are big theological questions, things that we believe about God that nevertheless lead us to doubt. Here's one that um, I've wrestled with from time to time. I believe Jesus saves us from the condemnation of God for our sin. That's one of the most basic Christian ideas that there is. And I'm absolutely convinced that's true. And I'm absolutely convinced that's true for me because I know I'm a sinner. I don't, I don't want to face God without his mercy. I don't have any confidence in myself. But at other times, I've been deeply troubled by the fact that if what I believe is true, there are some people who face eternity without God without Christ. And that really, really pains me. Now, I'm not prepared to let go of my own faith. I definitely know I'm a sinner. I definitely know I need to be saved. And I definitely believe pretty much everyone else is kind of is like me. But also the reality is really, really painful. and I kind of don't want to deal with it at times. And so there's a, there's a place where, where we get that kind of, is it this, is it that? And it's painful. Another area that we might find uh, doubt is in personal tragedy or hardship. Um, so um, in, in my case, uh, in, this is small hardship compared to, I know, some of the things that people in this church have been going through. But uh, for me, it was my mum. My mum bust her knee just before she retired. And basically, she's never, been, she's never really been properly mobile in her whole retirement. And she kind of worked all this way to this moment. She was going to be a granny. She could never pick up any of the kids because she was immobile. And I just thought, Lord, I understand. I live in a world in which this stuff happens. But somehow, why mum? And why is this so difficult? Perhaps you have a similar kind of tragedy or, or sort of hardship story where you just think, I don't understand why. Not necessarily that I expect to know why, but still it leads me to doubt. And then, of course, there's personal experience. Doubt that just comes out of personal experience. Um, I'm uh, reading the Bible in one year, which I highly recommend to you. If you, um, you, There's an app for it. It's brilliant. And I've just come across uh, this verse in Job 23. Job says, If I go to the east, he is not, he, God, is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. 
It reminded me of Psalm 139. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, that's in the far east. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. This is the experience of Christians, isn't it? Sometimes, wherever we go, God is there. It's wonderful. I mean, we, we've, we're all imagining him kind of in the air this, this evening. And then there are other times in our lives where we're like, he's nowhere. He's nowhere. Which is it? That is a common Christian understanding. It's encouraging, isn't it, to think that people for like thousands and thousands of years have been articulating that particular experience, just in case uh, you're wondering whether you're the first one. Doubt. Doubt in the existence of God or, or doubt in the basics of Christian theology is common to us. But there's another reason why we're doing this series right now, because I think it, these things are, partic- are increasingly prominent in Christian culture. Um, so here are a few statistics. Um, 67% of those who call themselves religious have questioned their belief during the pandemic. It's a reminder that hardship, you know, can really shake people's faith. And I think that's happened for some people. Since the turn of the century, so 19, you know, 20th century to the 21st, the number of people affiliated to the Church of England in our country has halved. Twice as, half as many people now uh, who would call themselves Church of England, uh, you know, that they think they belong to the Church of England. So around us, faith is dropping. Here's a really interesting, pretty shocking one from 2014. A YouGov survey found that 16% of clergy were unsure about the existence of God. And 2% were of the opinion that he doesn't actually exist at all. We may have some doubts about the selection process or otherwise. But anyway, let's let's not get into... uh, Okay. But it's real, isn't it? And then finally, I think doubt and questioning has a very particular profile actually in, in churches just like ours right now. So there are many people in the world who would call themselves Christians, perhaps they had a Christian upbringing, uh, perhaps in a a church that's big on the Bible like ours. They grew up going to church, then they gained their independence. And then suddenly they find themselves in a world which presents so many options on what you could believe, who you could be. And so their faith just comes under real challenge. And they find themselves asking really, really big, life-changing questions of the faith that they had or that they've, they've imported from their early years. Perhaps that's happened to you. That's been your experience. You've been raised going to church. You really appreciated that. But then also, you're really struggling to work out. Can I, can I take all of that stuff that I believed before? Does that still work? Do I have to get some bits off it? Because life is more complex than I thought it was. How does the, the faith of my childhood relate to today. And that's why we're starting this new series called Christ and Questions. I'm going to be introducing the theme uh, this evening, and then over the coming weeks, we're going to be addressing particular areas where I think um, those questions are very acute at the moment. So uh, one of the talks, uh, one of the sermons is going to be on Christ and difference. And what, what we're going after there is, is the Christian faith true? And that's particularly acutely that's a big question for many of us because we live in a world where, I mean, I don't need to tell you this, most people are not Christians. And even amongst them, they all have different ideas about what the world is like and what you should live for. So Christianity presents as one idea in a great sea of different options. Can I really be sure it's true? Does it, does it actually work when I see all these other people having different ways of getting through life? Does mine 
really the, the right one. So Christ and difference, we're going to be going after that. And then there are two, two sermons we're going to be looking specifically at, at some of the problems that I think have, have been very powerful in leading people to dismantle their faith in re- recent um, years. And the first one of those is Christ and the institution. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean this. We live in a world in which big institutions, like the church, for example, are suspect. For many people, although in the olden days, I guess people would look at the big institution and go, well, that's reliable. We can, you know, we can trust what they say. Today, it's the opposite. People ask, can anything good that comes from such an, come from such an ancient and, and distant and powerful and probably compromised, inflexible institution? People are asking that question, Christ and the institution. And then we're also going to be talking about Christ and fallen leaders. Because another huge obstacle for many people in their faith uh, is the terrible record of a number of high-profile Christian leaders. Perhaps you've come up close and personal to that in, in churches that you've been part of. I know I have. Whether it's leaders who've covered up sexual abuse or adultery or financial corruption or just massive abuse of power. And you think, well, you know, the message they preached, I kind of believe that. But now they've just shown that it had no kind of integrity in their lives. Does that mean I've got to blow all this up as well? Those are big questions, and we want to deal with those. Now, having said that, they're big questions. Uh, I really, I, I hope, I'm praying that we're also going to be surprised in this process. Surprised by how Jesus doesn't necessarily say the things that we think he's going to say to those big questions. How Jesus himself was prepared to dismantle the religion of his day, actually, in as far as he thought it was corrupt or going in the wrong direction. But also surprised, I'm really praying, that we find in Jesus a solid rock, something immovable, something we can really rest on and stake our lives in its place. Good. Okay, so we're going to start today with uh, a little excerpt from Mark's gospel. And Johnny's going to come up and read that for us. It's Mark chapter 9, and we're going to be starting at verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him off. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. 
If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaims, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Thanks, Jonathan, so much. Okay, so what do we learn about doubt from this passage? You're going to really find it helpful to keep it open there. Mark 9, uh, verse 14 onwards, you might want to keep it open on your device if that's easier. What do we learn about doubt? Well, the first thing in verse 19, after uh, the, the crowd come along and, you know, they, they say, look, this son was brought to your disciples, Jesus, and, um, you know, they, they, haven't, they haven't been able to drive out this spirit because the guy's the guy really suffering. He says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? The first thing that becomes clear is Jesus wants the people around him to believe. He really does want them to believe. And their unbelief, the fact that they, they don't trust him. And we've got questions later on about exactly what it is they don't believe. But their unbelief is a problem. And I guess all of us can identify with that at some level. If doubt is this kind of sense that it's not that or, or that, doubt just in itself, particularly doubt in the existence of God or the power of God, is a painful place to be. And Jesus longs for those around him to have belief to have faith. But there are also a number of surprising things that come out here. So first of all, we learn from this passage that Jesus was no stranger to questions and doubt. So he identifies a lack of trust in God in verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? And he talks about the immense power that faith gives in verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. But the very fact that he's talking about that means he knows about doubt. Jesus knows about doubt. Now, that's a significant observation. Because I think some of us sometimes think that Jesus doesn't know about doubt. We better not tell him about our doubt because he might be a bit surprised or a bit shocked that, you know, we have this doubt. So we better just keep that quiet and, you know, on the down low, sort it out here, and then eventually we come to him, you know, with our perfect kind of believing hearts. Jesus knows about doubt. Secondly, I think this is more, even more shocking, Jesus recruited doubters to work in his ministry. Do you get that? Jesus recruited doubters to work in his ministry. I mean, that is the clear implication of verse 19, isn't it? He said, disciples, you go and do this ministry. They come back and say, well, it didn't work because these guys doubt. Do you think Jesus didn't know that? He said, you guys, you're going to be on my team. And by the way, I also know that you doubt. He recruited doubters. Now, this is not an isolated occasion. If you know your Bibles, in fact, 
you realize God has been dealing with doubters all the way through history. It's there in Genesis 1, isn't it? Uh, you know, the command comes, you know, don't eat of, the, eat of the fruit of this tree. And then Adam and Eve are like, well, do you think we really should? Perhaps we, perhaps we might go quite well if we did. They were doubting. And so it goes on all the way through the whole of scriptures. Uh, think about Peter, the apostle Peter, who, um, you know, it, it got to Jesus being um, you know, about to be crucified. And, and Peter was there kind of at a little bit of a distance while Jesus was in the court. And they said, hang on, you're not with Jesus, are you? And he said, no, 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 I had nothing to do with him. Does it ever occur to you? Jesus knew that Peter was going to do that. Jesus chose even his, one of his closest followers to be the kind of person who was going to be famous for their doubt. Thomas doubts. Jesus describes his disciples as ye of little faith. I mean, that is actually strangely encouraging, isn't it? Presumably, if he had ye of little faith before then, you can have them today, right? So you and I can line up. Jesus recruited doubters to work in his ministry. Thirdly, Jesus ministered to those who doubt. Jesus ministered to those who doubt. So uh, he comes to the, uh, the boy's father, verse 21. He says, look, how long has the boy been like this? From childhood, the guy answers, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. So here we see Jesus interacting with someone, engaging with someone in conversation who is a doubter. He ministers into the doubt of this person. Now, that is also deeply encouraging, isn't it? Because actually, we might think Jesus would wait. He said, if you could go over there and just sort out your doubts, and then when you've done with that, you can come over here and I'll sort of minister to you. No, he ministered to the person in our doubts, in his doubts. Next, we learn that Jesus' miracles help us with our doubts. So then what happens? Jesus sees the crowds running to the scene, rebukes the evil spirit. He says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. Another load of doubters. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Jesus did this miracle and many, many others in the sight of many people to help them with their faith. That's what the New Testament does for us as believers. We're like, well, can we really believe this stuff about Jesus? Well, he would say, yes, believe on the strength of the miracles that I did. They're there to help us in our doubts in trusting him. And of course, uh, the story of Thomas, uh, if, you, if, you, if you know it, illustrates that particularly profoundly. Do you remember Thomas was the apostle who wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the disciples? Uh, and then, he, then he, he turned up later on. And Thomas is like, well, I'm, I'm not believing this. I, yeah, I need some evidence. And then Jesus showed himself. He said, here, look, put your, put your fingers in the, in the marks of my hands and my side so you can believe. Jesus' miracles help us with our doubts. Okay, now, that much, hopefully, is, is pretty direct from this passage. Having said all of that, the other thing that we learn from this passage is that Jesus did all sorts of stuff that begs an enormous number of very big questions. 
And those questions may cause us to doubt. So, for example, uh, verse 17, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. I mean, I don't know about you when you read that. I mean, my mind just goes off in all sorts of directions. What kind of a spirit? I mean, do you know anyone who's been possessed by a spirit? I mean, is this we're talking like early sort of psychological conditions that have been recast as spiritual conditions. Does that mean it wasn't right? Perhaps they did have spirits at that time, uh, but that's just kind of changed a different kind of era. I mean, this is a really complicated thing to work out, right? And we don't get the answer here exactly what's going on here. Uh, we have people possessed by demons. Why doesn't that happen in our culture? Did it happen in that culture? Um, then he says uh, in, in verse 23, um, if you can, you remember the guy says, look, if you can do anything, will you take pity on us and help us? Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Well, everything is possible. Everything, really. Like, for example, flying. Could I just fly if I believe? Is that because I don't have enough faith? Like, if I had really, really strong faith, could I actually fly? Because I would love to fly. And that's one of my big dreams, just on my own. I would really love to do that. I mean, we would love to just get into the story. They go, whoa, hold on a second. Okay, this story is going to have to stop right now. Because I've got some really, really big questions that I've got to work out. 2,000 years from now, everyone's going to want to know what the answer is. So just hang on. Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Try again. Like, I don't know. Just re- Do you want to reframe that just to give us a bit? No, but he doesn't. The story goes on and we're left there sitting, what did he mean by that? Now, we can have a good go at it, right? And there are some good answers to this. But fundamentally, it's not spelt out. There are some challenges there. And then there's this one at the end, right? Do you remember? (laughs) So we've got to the stage that Jesus has, you know, thrown out this uh, spirit. And verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? That's a really good question. I wonder what Jesus is going to say. This kind can come out only by prayer. Or if you read the notes, only by prayer and fasting. Depends which Bible you read. Did they not pray before? I mean, was it not not enough prayer? Could they have, you know, how much do you need? Sort of 20% prayer? Does 50% prayer get? There are so many questions here. Many of which we can have a go at but they aren't answered. So how do, we, how do we deal with our doubts? They're real. They come from even the world that Jesus inhabited and what we have from him. How do we tackle them? Well, I've got four little principles that I'd love to uh, share with you, and I offer them uh, humbly, and it may be that you have better ways of dealing with these things. Um, but things that have helped me over time, how to tackle doubt. Number one, ask the question. Ask the question. Actually ask the question that's bothering you. Now, here's what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes we have doubt, and what we're really talking about is we just feel sort of something difficult inside, and I'm not really quite sure what it is. I just, I feel uneasy. We don't even get to the point where we're actually identifying what exactly are you doubting? What exactly is the problem here? And the mere process of saying, spit it out, what is the problem here? Articulate the actual doubt that you have. Ah, Fundamentally, I I don't know, I think I don't believe that God is good. 
it's helpful to have got to that point, right? Because once you actually articulate your question, now you know what particular question or doubt you're dealing with. If Jesus was no stranger to doubt, if he recruited doubters, if he ministered to those in doubt, then he can cope with us actually putting our doubt out there. And that's a really important part. I asked at the beginning, you know, doubt, friend or foe. Well, in many ways, doubt is a foe, but it can be a friend if it helps us on a journey of really honestly seeking the truth. But in order to do that, we've got to spell out what it is that we've got a problem with. And once we've asked that question, then move on through it. So um, I like to think of doubt triage. If you're a medically minded, you might like that idea. You know, work it out. What, what kind of doubt have you got? Have you just got a sort of generalized feeling of uncertainty? Well, then you've just got a generalized feeling of uncertainty. And I don't know, is, that, is there some psychological roots to that? Perhaps your mental health, whatever. Uh, is it that you have a doubt in your own goodness? Hey, Jesus doubts that as well. So that's fine. You guys are on the same page. Uh, do you doubt the love of God? Well, you've trusted in him. That, well, that's a, real, that's a real doubt. You need to wrestle with that one. That's really, really important. Um, perhaps you doubt something that's really quite minor. Perhaps that one just needs to be put into perspective. And you're like, do you know what? I don't know. We can just leave that aside. Perhaps you have a crippling uncertainty about everything in life. Well, then, again, you're going to need some help with that. So a bit of doubt triage. Actually asking the question helps you to do that, helps you to work out exactly what kind of doubt you've got. And let me say at that stage, once you do ask the question, mind out for the blind alleys. Blind alleys are ones, you know, it's a route that you take down that doesn't go anywhere. And here are two blind alleys. One blind alley is that doubt is the enemy to be defeated as fast as possible. One blind alley is to think, okay, I've got this doubt, and scarcely has it got out of my mouth. I'm going to absolutely slice it up with all these arguments really, really quickly, and then I'm going to be done. Because probably what's going to happen is you, don't, you won't really deal with it. It'll hardly get out before it gets put back in again, and possibly you've got more to explore, and it'll come and visit you again. And then the other end, of the other blind alley, is to welcome doubt unconditionally. To say, doubt, oh, it's brilliant. And people, you know, there are people in our culture who do that kind of stuff, doubt, you know. There's a certain type of Christian who thinks they're really sophisticated because they can just accommodate any doubt. I, I don't think the Bible allows us to do that either. Doubt can lead us to shame. It can lead us to paralysis. It can lead us to all sorts of things. We don't want to welcome doubt unconditionally either. But let's ask the question. Secondly, so let's actually ask the question. Secondly, follow the question. Follow the question. What I mean by this is once you've asked the question that you've, you've articulated, what it is that you're worried about, does God really love me? Then start following that question. Well, how might I know whether God really loves me? What evidence might I find? Where might I go and look for those? Follow the question. Follow the question. I love this phrase, doubt is an invitation. Doubt is an invitation to grow in our understanding. Often we feel doubt as sort of paralysis, don't we? Like a status. I'm doubting and I can't get out of it. But doubt is an invitation if we follow the question. It's an invitation to greater understanding of God or ourselves or our world. Uh, it's an invitation to greater intimacy with God as we wrestle with our doubts. It's an invitation, let's be clear, not necessarily where we want to go. 
It's an invitation not necessarily to somewhere comfortable because the Lord may change us through them. So doubt, in a sense, can be a friend because it can lead us to rethink and rebuild even more strongly our faith. So follow the question. How else might we follow the question? Well, we might pick up our script, the Bibles. Uh, uh, see, what does the scripture say to this particular question? Uh, if you don't know exactly where to start, why not go and look, look up a book? Find a good book by someone you, you trust. What do they say about this? How do they bring this question together with the scriptures in a way that's helpful for me? Um, if you're not a great book reader, can you find someone um, who is reputable, who you, know, you trust um, on sort of sermons or, um, or, or YouTube or on a podcast that's going to help you with that? Thirdly, how else do we follow the question? One of the ways of following the question is to doubt our doubts. Doubts need to be interrogated. Sometimes we have doubts because we had bad theology in the first place. So here's a classic, the prosperity gospel. If we get to that point where we think, okay, the way that it works is if I follow Jesus, everything is going to go well for me and I'm not going to suffer anything. Then what happens when we do suffer, we're like, this is it. My whole faith is now going to fall in like a pack of cards. Because my premise previously was, if I follow Jesus, it will always go well. Therefore, since it's now going badly, Jesus is nothing and it's all over. The issue there was, at the beginning, if I follow Jesus, it will always go well. Because it doesn't always go well right now. We aren't promised a life free of suffering. And so bad theology needs to be rooted out if we're going to be able to deal with our doubts. Or spot the false arguments. Um, I don't know whether you've ever, you know, heard sort of arguments, something like this. Let's say we're talking about the resurrection, and somehow the conversation starts going towards this idea that you know, people 2,000 years ago, they were a bit stupid, so they sort of thought that people would rise again. But these days, we're quite clever, so we, we, you know, we know that they don't. That's just not true. That's a ridiculous thing to say. People back then, they saw a lot more people dead because that was a reality in their lives. They didn't think people would just rise again. They were just the same as you and me. That's why they wrote a book about him, because he did something that no one else did, and that was worth recording. Those kind of little arguments that get in the way can, can really help us um, actually get our doubts clear. And then finally, one more thought as we think about following the question. Be honest about your options when you're doubting. So let's say you doubt the Christian faith. You're getting to that point where you're like, I, th- I think... I'm just really struggling. I wonder whether I need to sack it all in. What are you going to do instead? What are you going to believe instead? Because tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to live for something. And you're going to make your decisions somehow. The question is not, can I trust Jesus? The question is, can I trust Jesus more than anything else? Or do I have something better that would, that would make more sense of my life and help have a more kind of joined up and coherent life. Be honest about the options. If you're going to doubt this, what are you going to put in its place? Because this better be better than this. Otherwise, don't swap it out. Be honest about your options. All right. So that's the second one. Follow the question. Here's the third one. Bring the question to Jesus. Bring the question to Jesus. There's Jesus, the good shepherd. 
I love that verse. And I really hope this is going to resonate with you over these coming weeks. Verse 24. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus welcomes our questions and our doubt. And he's the one who's going to move with us through it towards understanding and towards belief. Not, you know, go away from me and come back when you've got it sorted, but bring it to me. Um, imagine, have we, got, have we got any spare cables in there? Yeah, can you bring me a, bring me a cable? Okay, right. So this, here is a little, yeah, a long one, a long one. Okay, okay, so here's, here is a little um, illustration of how it works to bring a question uh, to Jesus with the aid of a cable. Okay, so, so yeah, that's it. Very good, very good. Okay, okay, right. Well, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to throw it all together here. Right. Uh, so, so listen, you know, yeah, actually, that's perfect. That's very helpful because this is what I need. Right, so, you know, this is, this is what you and I, this is what we feel we look like, Right. I don't know, you probably really, you probably want those nice kind of round one, you know. Anyway, this is my life, absolutely. Just like a whole mess of doubt and questions and, yeah. And we often think, okay, uh, Jesus, hang on, hang on. Let me just see if I can, I'll come to you in a moment. I just need to sort this out uh, because, you know, and we start over here and then, oh, you know, and then there's that thing where you have to, just just bring the whole thing, yeah? Bring it to Jesus. Bring the mess of your life with all its doubts and questions to him. If he could help this man back then, he can help us today. Thank you, Stu. So bring it to Jesus. Now, what do we do once we bring it to him? Well, Listen to him in his teaching. What does he say, actually, to the, to the questions that you've got? Ask him for help, for faith, for clarity. So, so prayer. And that's sometimes hard. Lord Jesus, I don't really know whether you're there. But on the off chance that you are, could you help me with this one? I think that's, a, that's an all right prayer. Rest in Jesus. Lord, I can't fix this one today, and I don't know what the answer is, but I'm going to, I'm going to trust in you for, for the rest of today, even whilst I've got this absolute storm of doubt going on over here. Cry out to Jesus. Doubt is a place where you can still cry out to the Lord. If you're unsure about that, read the Psalms. Men who thought that God was kind of not there, but they were still able to come to him and pray to him. Say, I believe, help my unbelief. And then finally, and briefly, uh, bring the question into Jesus' community. I said, bring the question to Jesus, but also bring the question into Jesus' community. By which I mean, bring your doubts into community and fellowship with other people where you can deal with them with others. We cannot expect to make sense of our doubts alone. We're not designed to just lock ourselves away and think. 
And in fact, that isn't what happens. What happens is you lock yourself away and think, and then you go on YouTube and listen to some nutcrack kind of person start taking you off in the wrong direction. So bring it to the community of Jesus. We need people around us who know us, who can help make sense of the complex things that are going on in our emotions and our thoughts. We think we're merely rational beings. We're not. What have Christians said about this in the past? How could that help me right now? What do people around me who, whose lives I can actually see and I can work out where, what they think, where that goes, what do they say? How do they get around this? And this is a good moment for me to say, I really pray um, that Emmanuel can be a place where there is enough space for this. Where we as a community are a place where you can bring your doubts, where you're not having to sort of um, filter them before you bring them out in community, where you can voice them, explore them. And at the same time, I also pray that we can be a place where those doubts can actually find some help, find some answers if there are answers, find community and perspective and support, which all of which is needed. So there's a final thought, to bring the question into Jesus's community. All right, so four, four ways to tackle doubt. Briefly to recap, actually ask the question, follow the question, bring the question to Jesus, and then finally bring the question into Jesus's community. Well, I wonder where that leaves us today. I'm just going to invite the band up uh, to come and join me right now. Because I recognize that this evening I've opened up lots and lots of uh, different themes and different issues. I want to say, first of all, uh, at the end of this four weeks, we're going to have a, a Q&A, some open, open questions. If you've got particular questions that you'd like us to address, uh, issues that have really caused doubt for you, uh, thorny issues that you'd love to have an answer to, please do uh, let me know, send me an email, uh, come and talk to me. Uh, we'd love to uh, work together with you on that. Um, if you're in a small group, and I really recommend you, you are, why not chat about this stuff in, in your small groups? What are the kind of questions that you'd love to have um, answered in this, in this coming series? Do come again and listen to the, uh, the next few talks in this series, which I hope will be helpful for you. But as I say, I think we've raised some, some big things this, tonight. And so let's just take a bit of time to bring those to the Lord. All of us in some way this evening will be the man who says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So if you're here this evening and for you this is a, it's that tragedy, it's that hardship that's really got you completely disorientated and doubting and confused. Perhaps now is the time to bring that, to speak out that question to the Lord Jesus, your doubts. Perhaps right now you're wrestling with a, a, something, something really difficult about what you believe about God or the, the world or the faith that you've, you've got from your past or your family or your church, and you're really wrestling with that. Can you bring that to him? Perhaps you're just dealing with that emotional experience, that sense that God is not there. He's not there like he was once before, and you don't know what to do with it.
Let's take a moment in the quiet to come to Jesus and say, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Lord Jesus, we come to you this, this evening as the one who we know loves us and cares for us. We thank you that we've seen you this evening ministering to those who doubted, even recruiting those who doubted onto your team to be with you, and speaking words of wisdom and actions of immense power to help those around you believe. Lord, we want to say to you, I do believe, but I struggle. Help me overcome my unbelief. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.